are listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurs, the podcast, our audio supplement to the Love in the Time of Chasmosaurs blog about the science, art, and popular culture of Mesozoic life. I'm Nati. I'm Mark. And I'm Niels. We are very honored indeed in episode six to welcome as our guest none other than Louise Ray, whose bold, exuberant, immediately recognizable work might justifiably be said to mirror his own personality, to say nothing of his place among the most renowned and influential of living paleo artists. Uh, Louise will be joining Mark and Niels for an interview later. Uh, before that, it feels appropriate, therefore, that the maestro's illustrations should form the subject of our discussion. Extreme Dinosaurs, published by Chronicle Books in 2001, both written and illustrated by Lewis, is our vintage dinosaur art book this month. But first, as ever, we begin with some news from the paleosphere. Uh, Mark, would you like to start things off? No. Okay, I will. Um, so I've been trying to read a paper which was shared by um, Andrea Cowell, so hat tip there, which is published in Frontiers in Earth Science by, uh, by Nova Satel, and it's comments on the morphology of basal paravian shoulder girdle, new database on unanagiid theropods and paleognath birds. Bless you. Achoo. And it's comparing the shoulder girdle of various animals, including the living Rhea, um, Archaeopteryx, Various uh, Paravians, including, well, the uh, Unilagiids, which I'm never sure if I'm saying it correctly, uh, Microraptor, Troodontids, so Anchionis, and so on. Um, it's particularly interesting because, um, as uh, Cow himself has noted, they use an unusual phylogeny in this, which um, they follow the, well, I'd say in the paper, they follow the phylogenetic framework proposed by Agnonin and Novus in 2013. Um, by, by whom? Exactly. Whereas in which Dinolycosauria is interpreted as a non-monophyletic group. Really? So not your usual Dinolycosauria. Um, in fact, it's split off. And this was interesting to me because it rekindled, it sort of, um, it brings up these ideas of all the near birds, um, or, or, well, the Paravians at some point being a bit indistinguishable from one another. They all sort of merge together in a big soupy mess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, this, this, this phylogeny is a bit is unusual and certainly not supported by everyone. I mean, um, Cal on on Facebook noted that uh, his his own phylogeny doesn't really um, support this view, but it's fascinating. But Figure Four has uh, interesting comparison between the scapular coracoid, a different in lateral view of different uh, Paravians, and how it becomes much more of a sharp um angle the more um it's hard to use this word but the more derived the animal becomes um and how in fact what we might traditionally regard as being very bird-like theropods like the troodonts actually have this very um sorry again primitive scapular coracoid which does not have this sharp angle yeah they're more um, primitive that means they're much worse <laughs> they're worse yeah primitive means worse <laughs> yeah that's how evolution works um, and humans are the supreme beings of and laws of the earth. That's how it works. <laughs> Basically, we, we thought we thought about them. We've compared them too much with modern flighted birds, and they've noted that actually they have more in common with the with birds like the rhea, the way that they move their arms. It's more limited motion. Obviously, with the the rhea has a obviously a flying ancestor. It's kind of interesting in that they um, it's 
basically saying that they would have moved there for him in a different way to what is um, popularly imagined, and they would have not been able to achieve the same kind of um, same kind of flying stroke that would be necessary for powered flight in birds as we understand it today, Jim. This, I think, I think this has been of particular interest uh, in in restoring dromaeosaurs, dromaeosaur wings, um, because I've seen them illustrated as outspread um, to the extent that modern birds do, and I always wondered whether that was possible. That's okay. I mean, I was just going to mention Archaeopteryx as well, um, because they find that Archaeopteryx would have had a much more limited range of, um, well, I was not say limited, but they would have moved its, its limbs in a different way. It wouldn't have been moving them in the way that a modern bird does when it's flying. Mm. In fact, they question the um, flight capability of Archaeopteryx entirely, which they also, um, they also mentioned Ostrom back in the day, who also questioned, uh, mentioned that Archaeopteryx probably had a very limited flight capability if it had if it could fly at all. Yeah, that's another thing that goes back and forth, isn't it? Uh, whether or not Archaeopteryx could actually fly. Yes. I mean, obviously, I many wanted to mention it because it was published yesterday at the time of recording. So 25th of May. Um, so there we go. We're bang up to date there. Finger on the pulse as ever. And it's yeah, open access. It. And it's open access. Yeah. So if you want to go and read it, um, if you're a scientist, you'll enjoy it. And if you're a layman, you'll be scratching your head, probably. Cause it's quite yeah, technical. and if you're knee-deep into dromaeosaurs, you'll probably have an opinion about it. <laughs> Let's move on to the ceratopsids. Hooray! Yes, last month's second most exciting new dinosaur is a, a centrosaurine ceratopsid dinosaur. Are we following along? Centrosaurine ceratopsid dinosaur. Taking notes. It has an amazing name. It's called Menifee ceratops because it's from the Menifee formation. And it's about... 83 million years old, and that would make it the oldest centrosaurine uh, that we have currently. Within centrosaurine, it is in the clade Nasutoceratopsini. So if you know Nasutoceratops, which is uh, reasonably well known, then uh, that's about what it looks like. Um, what I like about this one is that it's actually quite small. It's about four meters long. It's adorable. Yeah. And it really goes to show that there is always much more... Um, variation in ceratopsid size than you're thinking sometimes because if i picture like chasmosaurus in my head and triceratops they're about the same size right but they're not no <laughs> triceratops is much bigger <laughs> oh god if you put them next to each other uh, chasmosaurus looks positively tiny. you made those models didn't you those models in dinosaur parks the ones that make ceratosaurus the same size as triceratops because it's just a head swap yeah right it was you wasn't but, it but uh never mind that it's uh, it's a new ceratopsid it's called Menifee Ceratops, go check it out. The paper is not open access, but uh, you can read the abstract and it already has its own Wikipedia page. Yep, and there'll be a collector toy of it next year. Guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm despairing because where am I going to fit all these Ceratopsians on my shelf? And so, on to our star dinosaur for this month. I am, once again, very, very delighted to have tidings of a new hadrosaur. I do actually have Niels to thank for first alerting me to this in the early stages of the news breaking. Uh, oh, you would have found out. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, yes. Uh, Clatolophus galorum, a parasaurolophin hadrosaur from the upper campanian of the Cerro del Pueblo formation, Coahuila, northwest Mexico. It's the most complete lambiosaurine to date from Mexico and much more closely related to the North American Parasaurolophus than to the contemporaneous Velofrons from the same formation. 
uh, the real prize among the uncovered remains, which include most of the tail, uh, a femur, scapula, and some other elements, is, of course, its beautiful skull, some 80% complete, with its spatula-shaped crest intact, which is exactly what one wants. Absolutely spectacular. Mm, indeed. It's exactly what one wants in a, in a lambiosaurine discovery. As far as I've been able to find out, it um, was first spotted weathering on the surface um, as far back as 2005, actually. But uh, serious work, uh, field work, didn't begin until uh, 2013. In an exquisite alignment of the stars for this episode, one of the life restorations accompanying the paper is by our guest this month, Louise Ray. His pair of clatolophers uh, sport a bold red and black crest and a prominent wattle, um, some pretty uh, distinctive ray hallmarks, I would say. Um, though we don't have as many attempts at illustrating this animal on social media as some theropods we could mention, but which delicacy forbids, I was nevertheless happy to see a fair few attempts uh, once news of this publication began to filter through. Uh, of course, lambiosaurines do have their magnificent crests in their favour when it comes to reconstruction, so perhaps they tend to fare a little better in the popularity stakes. But anyway... You can very easily search for, for this animal now uh, on social media and a slew of very lovely reconstructions will come up. And really, that's, uh, that's about all I have to say about Including it. Including yours. Uh, <laughs> I, I made two modest sketches, three if you count a very an extremely sketchy one. But, but yeah. And uh, as usual, they're uh, beautiful. And uh, if you'll allow me, I'll put it up on the blog. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, Gosh, yes, be very happy to. And uh, about about the Louis Ray one, um, he was actually sitting on that one for a while because he made it in way back in 2019, yeah. way back in the before times. <laughs> yes, indeed. So he was yeah. continually he was continually pestering the authors about, okay, when is this when is this this paper coming out so I can finally publish the blessed thing? He's very happy. It's finally out there. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, this comes up in the interview, which people need to listen Hurrah. to. <laughs> all right thank you everyone so now on to our vintage dinosaur art book vintage dinosaur art niels as you were the actual person with the physical copy in this instance perhaps you'd like to begin yes thank you Nati. um this is a book called extreme dinosaurs written and illustrated by louise ray it's pretty strange to have a book from the 2000s on our vintage dinosaur art segment but <laughs> there you go we have the rule that uh, anything older than 20 years is vintage now so uh, like well, it or 20 not years, 20 years or older and it's so that i don't run out of books that i can buy on ebay basically that's that's why i originally came up with that it's like yeah 20 years that's that's good enough and then occasionally i stretch that as well just go like vintage-ish <laughs> but anyway this Nevertheless, it's um, it's so historical now that I think we can um, review it in the same light as things like, uh, well, Normanpedia or or Burian because uh, it has, it's it's aged rather well, but it has aged. It has aged, and I I do think that some of the illustrations in here are rather older. Yes, they're definitely they're from the nineties. I mean, uh, well, there are a few we can talk about. Yeah. So um, the way the book works is it's basically a showcase for some of his artwork across the years also a way for him to bring to the masses the uh, 
new types of dinosaur research that he's very excited about, you know, um, especially concerning the link between birds and dinosaurs, which uh, was, of course, in full swing, including what he calls the new Chinese revolution with all these feathered dinosaur fossils showing up. That was all happening right then. What's possibly most fascinating about this is that having spoken to Louise now, we know that a number of these are things that um, or concepts that he, he wanted published more widely. He would ideally like to have published more widely, but um, he was, his ideas are just being rejected as being too crazy and out there, especially in the 90s. I mean, that, uh, I believe, I'm not sure exactly how old that feathered um, Deinonychus scene is, the, the one where you just see their, their heads and uh, there's one running along in the background rather than the, the other one, the turkey one. But, uh, we can get to that later. But the one where you just see their their heads, uh, it's at once very 90s and yet at the same time very surprising for the 90s. I mean, they have the same kind of um, allosaurish, uh, very deep head that we now know would be incorrect um, for that time. Yeah. But nevertheless, they are feathered um, and almost as fully feathered, almost, as we would restore them now that's the kind of work that he was doing back then that got him blacklisted by the dinosaur society for being too wacky it's like what's this this is a ridiculous idea you can't do you can't have feathers on dromaeosaurs yeah and i think it was probably around this time that the turning point sort of came right especially with all the fossils from from china coming in yes and i think that's why that um feathered the chinese feathered revolution scene is one of the most important pieces that appears in this because yes that is the turning point that is when suddenly everyone has to look again at, at louis work and go oh hang on a minute actually they really were that crazy <laughs> they really were feathered it's really symbolic of that moment in um in the science and the pop culture where you've got the, the feathered beast literally right, you, you are talking about the uh bipiosaurus piece Yes, where they're literally crashing through the scene. You have all these various feathered dinosaurs just surrounding them, different species and uh, different clades. Uh, and as you say, it's, it's just really representative of that moment in time. Yeah, how fitting is it that they are literally just crashing through this, um, <laughs> this jungle? It's like here's the, the, the future is here, so to speak. Although, of course, it's actually the, yeah. the deep past. But, uh, <laughs> the future of dinosaur science is here and it's it's in it's coming right at you it has aged very well for one thing it's probably the piece in here that's aged well, the best there are a few in here that are noticeably older than the others in terms of the technique employed and just because i'm aware that they're older um <laughs> yeah the baryonics right the, the baryonics in particular i remember being advertised as a, a poster that you could buy in the early I 90s think, i think that's early 90s isn't it yeah very recognizable face to me it has it definitely has that look to it it has a similar look to these uh his creations in the Osborne book, which is from 1990, I, th I think early 93, whereas some of the other ones are a bit more, they, they've evolved a bit, they've moved on, they're a bit more, they're a bit closer to the Louis as we imagine today. Yeah, but still, this is very recognisable Louis, especially with the kind of unusual perspective with the, the, the really in your face, uh, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, the unusual perspective, but also the attention to detail um, is one of the best baryonics you would have seen around that time absolutely yeah you can see the attention to detail in terms of the skull the hands um it looks almost like to me it has a vestigial fourth finger i don't know if that's really known from baryonics i don't think it is i wonder if that's just a um a vestige of vintage spinosaur reconstructions where it had that which was then based on like vintage megalosaur reconstructions but god knows well, he, he does it more often though if you look at the um image with the 
Polacanthus and the Valdoraptor from the uh, from the page next to it, you can see that the uh, Valdoraptor has that vestigial finger as yeah. well. Yeah, yes, so it does. Valdoraptor. Yeah. I had to look into this because I had no idea what Valdoraptor was. I was like, what? Huh? No, neither did but I. It's a. Um, it's basically some foot bones, and that's it. The latest verdict seems to be that it's an ornithomimosaur, a very early ornithomimosaur. Um, but it's kind of hard to tell because it's just some foot bones. <laughs> so, it comes from the uh, collection of um, Richard Owen himself, I believe. Yes, it's very, very old. Fortunately, that gives you a lot of scope when it comes to um, these kinds of reconstructions. So naturally, you just made them these kind of generic theropods. I mean, spectacular illustration. It is amazing. And now as you make them Neo-Venator, and it wouldn't require a lot of modification to make them Neo-Venator. I mean, they've got a kind of Allosaur look to them. I mean, if you... If you tell me they're Neo-Venator, I'm going to be like, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> yeah, even though I'm pretty sure it was produced before Neo-Venator was described, um, and they're just kind of generic big theropods. Well, Louise, but... if you're listening, and I'm pretty sure you are, you could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh, I, I, now I'm wondering if he actually modified it later on to make them Neo-Venator, like, like he did with another piece in here. Ah, ah you see, it's, it's a link, you see. Um, the... Where he's got Giganotosaurus attacking a Margosaurus. Ah, I'd hoped you would bring that Which up. Which is later modified. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of images like that where a group of theropods are ganging up on uh, a herbivore, and it's it's so dynamic, it's so action packed. There's so much dust being kicked up. There's so many animals moving about. There's hardly a foot touching the ground. That's just that's just what what I go to Louise for to see that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say that th that one was modified later on. I believe the version that appears in the Holtz Encyclopedia uh, changes the Amargosaurus to be a juvenile Argentinosaurus, and the Carcharodontosaurus, sorry, the, the Giganotosaurus, they are Carcharodontosaurus, um, are described as Mapusaurus instead. Uh, because Which they just lived... goes to show how interchangeable all those Carcharodontosaurus are. Yeah, you know, maybe we should just Greg Paul it and just lump them all into one genus. You know, they can just all be um, Carcharodontosaurus. <laughs> I mean, there's hardly anything else to be said, is there? I mean, that's, that's again, that's one of the most distinctive hallmarks of Lewis's work is this, uh, is the dynamism. And it's, it is in almost every single illustration. Yes, they're very rarely just sort of chilling out, are they? Uh, <laughs> you get them sometimes just hanging around in trees or what have you, but most of the time they are. Even there's, there's one in here. A famous one, I can't remember what he produced it for, but it's for a very specific purpose. But it's got the three um, T-Rex walking a bit, a bit towards us, and we're down at almost a human. Oh, yeah, that one is awesome. Uh, with these uh, Asdarkids mm. flying up overhead, almost in formation, <laughs> with, uh, and some Triceratops. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what's one of his T-Rex looks there. And yeah, it's, it's a very stunning piece. It's, again, it's not particularly dynamic because they're not really doing anything besides walking uh it's it's not dynamic in the sense that it's uh actually doing anything um the dynamism is present in the way he's composed the illustration both both in terms of the shapes uh the radiating angles of the tyrannosaurs and the perspective of us sort of beneath them as they are tiring over us but there's a um, beautiful attention to detail as well which is which enables him to pull off these unusual perspectives so you have on that the um the tyrannosaur which is face in the middle facing towards us and you get the impression of its skull with the eyes facing forward and the way it flares out towards the back um 
and not just the anatomical detail, but the sort of superficial details that just add that extra bit of uh, believability to them. Like the one on the right that has clearly been wounded and has these scratch marks across its face. It looks like its snout has been almost like front of its tip of its snout has been messed up. Um, so yeah, just little points of interest. Um, the Carnotaurus piece in particular, where it's clearly been designed to show off the weird anatomy of Carnotaurus. There's so many artists letting Carnotaurus down. Carnotaurus is so weird. Its weirdness is underrated. <laughs> it is. It re- yeah, really is. Even though, even though it's a dinosaur that shows up everywhere now. Because it, exactly. it was in Jurassic World and it was in Disney yeah, Dinosaur, yeah. and uh, <laughs> they almost <laughs> never show. It was even in that in that rubbish television series called Terra Nova or something. But oh um, yeah, that. they almost yeah. never show just how incredibly weird Carnotaurus is. Right, but then here's Louise nailing it in. Um, I, well, I don't know exactly when this was produced, but it was before 2001. It was maybe the 1990s, and he's absolutely, uh, you know, along with. Um, Cherkis have produced that beautiful model. He's um, he's really got it spot on here, um, which again just shows. I, I imagine he was given access to the the specimens or given really good references because there's no other way he could have done this. But it's yeah, it's really stunning. Um, again, it's not just the attention to anatomical detail, which is obviously there, which allows him to produce these various views of the animal. So you have, uh, as I said, the lateral view on the left, and on the right you have a head-on perspective which really shows off that strange narrow skull and that binocular vision um, and the way the horns stick out. But also also in the background, you've got the two. So, so as you see a bit more of the full body, you can see the two charging one another, which reminds me of uh, two cows I saw recently in the field fighting. <laughs> they uh, have a shoving match with their heads, which uh, seems well, that's fitting. that's just him having fun with the Taurus part of its name. Yeah, exactly. It seems, it seems very fitting. It's a lot of fun. But he's got the arms as well. If you look at the arms there, they're pretty much the perfect um it's missing it doesn't have the claws because it, it didn't have them um and they've turned out in a weird way because that's exactly how it was it had these funny yeah. oddly positioned arms with like virtually no claws on. that to me is the the weirdest thing among all the litany of weirdness of Carnotaurus, the arms. Yeah, definitely. It's not just that attention to anatomical detail, but again, same as with the T-Rex, it's the uh, the surface details. Like, um, okay, maybe he makes it like the skull a bit more sunken than we'd make it nowadays, but um, the the scalation, the colouring, the patterning, um, it's like he, he said to us, he doesn't want to make things like overly bright and overly crazy, but this is a nice, pl- it's plausibly vibrant, um, has really nice yellow yellow striping, that red patch around the eye, and also the, all those little lumps and bumps and scales and scoots and cornified like bits on the head. Um, just give it this really wonderful, plausible look. And it's probably one of my favourite, um, if not my favourite piece in here. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there. It's definitely up there. I do want to bring up uh, this. I suppose you would you would call it a whimsical illustration. That of um, Proto-Avis, with its uh, with its nest of uh, four hatching modern birds. Yes. Um, oh yes. With the there's a a toucan, a flamingo, a bald eagle, and uh, our humble domestic chicken. So in, in in the context of the book, Niels, would you be able to explain to us? Um, I mean, I think the illustration is pretty, pretty obvious what it's trying to indicate about the dinosaur and bird lineage. But, um, but if you could shed a little more light on the context, 
Well, um, it's it's exactly as you say. Um, the um, the text says uh, the chicks hatching from the eggs represent all of the birds that evolved from the first birds. However, not everyone agrees that Proto-Avis was related to birds. Future research may change our present picture of it. And that is a caveat that he makes throughout the book. He is very much aware, and I think you'll you'll find that from the interview as well, he is very much aware that science is changing all the time and his images yeah. will become outdated. In that case, it's very fortunate he included a caveat. <laughs> yes, because uh, that turned out to be uh, indeed the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that one, I don't know. I find a bit on the nose, but um, I think it's, it's probably effective it's probably effective <laughs> for uh, for kids, like ramming the point home. Um, the chapter that it's in, is called Are Dinosaurs Alive Today? And it does include the sentence, Today, most scientists who study ancient animals agree that all birds, including the first birds, descended from theropod dinosaurs. What they don't agree on is which theropods evolved into birds and when it happened. So and they still don't. <laughs> that's, where, that's where science already was at around 2001. Pop culture is still not catching up. No. Unfortunately, um, I mean that, that the bird evolution series in there. There's the illustration um, that depicts kind of hypothetical ancestors of Archaeopteryx going yeah, up that, into the that trees. That would have been pretty old, I think. That would have been pretty outdated at the time. And you know, the the, the way he frames it is he, he sort of he sort of tries to uh, retroactively fit it into his story. But you can you can kind of tell that already by this time the illustration had become dated. Yeah, it does seem to show this idea of um, feathers being these elongated scales that then fray um, that kind of old idea about them. Um, and and yeah, just the kind of animal that it's evolving from, uh, even at the stage of being basically a theropod dinosaur, it has four fingers with claws and this kind of uh, opposed um, first toe, you know, the, the grip, the perching toe, which... I'm not sure even Archaeopteryx really had. Um, did it? I, I don't know. It's been. A, I think it's been an argument about this. I no. It's, it's the the debate is still ongoing as to the as to Archaeopteryx. Yeah. Oh my god. So. It's a debate over Archaeopteryx's first toe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. But the um the the various animals that are leading up to it clearly don't really reflect. Um, yeah, I know. I don't know. The, the the second to last one kind of looks like a dromaeosaur if you squint. Yeah, it does. Although with again with like the perching feet, um, yeah. which dromaeosaurs did not have. There was one that I want to talk about from by personal point of view is the uh, Deinonychus, the, the one, the turkey Deinonychus, the famous turkey Deinonychus. The turkey. Deinonychus. I mean, we can't yes. we can't get away without mentioning that one. No, of course. It's possibly a bit too much like a turkey. Um, in that it has the same sort of colours and the uh, the weird feathers sticking out of the neck. On the other hand, I remember I remember seeing this about two thousand and nine or ten, which was obviously several years or a number of years after it was actually made, and still thinking, "Whoa, that's that's wild!" Um, at that time, yeah, indeed, exactly. Now it's now you just look at it and think, "Yeah, yeah, it's, he's kind of stuck some speculative stuff on there, you know, like giving it some face wash." Yeah, if anything, it's under feathered. Yeah, exactly. If anything, now these a lot of these feathered um, animals in here are under feathered, including that one. Um, doesn't have the prop, the full uh, quotient of wing feathers going on. But I, I remember even back, you know, just over ten years ago, looking at it and going, "Wow, that's that's 
that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to forget an illustration like that, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing about his art, right? And it's it's sort of it sort of ties into what Nati said at the very beginning uh, about about it also kind of reflecting his personality because his art is very very confrontational, right? I think if I if I would sum his art up in one word, that would be it: confrontational. If you look at this, it immediately forces you to have an opinion about it. Whether it's um, mm-hmm. whether it's revulsion, or wow, that's cool, or wow, that's wild, but it forces you to think about it and it forces you to consider it. Exactly. What's so great about this is that it's kind of an, an all yesterday's kind of idea, but um, you know, speculative, some speculative paleo art with speculative um, soft tissues and so on. But obviously, way before all yesterday's came out, and I, I know that they weren't. You know, we can't give Darren H all the credit in the world, much as he'd love it, of course, because he's a you know, massive <laughs> ego. Um, I mean, John Conway, don't get me started on John Conway. But um, much, much as I'd love to take all the credit, I know that other people were doing this before. I mean, you've got John McLaughlin back in um, 1979 doing this kind of thing. But this for its time... We have to talk about John McLaughlin at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's maybe our next one. But this for its time is wild, and yeah, as you say, it's so it's so confrontational. There's the one that I mean, he's literally standing facing you and saying, "Yeah, this is what I look like because I am an I, because I am an animal, <laughs> and I could have looked like this. You know, I don't have to be this cool, sleek, dromaeosaur, scaly, you know, like um, uh, pared down hunting machine. Whereas this is saying, well, actually, maybe it was more like a you know a fancy modern bird and it had wattles and it was a bit you know and and daft looking feathers and the awkward looking fleshy bits and weird hair like feathers coming out of its neck in this kind of ugly looking way i mean yeah it could have done why not <laughs> so, i mean yeah exactly. we, and we say that now well of course it could, it could have had all these things um but then back at that time when you were so used to this particular paradigm this particular look for these animals that you, you get this this is indeed very confrontational and this is what louis has always um wanted to emphasize is that these are animals and they're not the monsters or they're not the pop culture creations that people often imagine them to be they were real animals that existed and they may have been goofy and they may have um done silly things or had wild colors or wattles and fleshy bits um, so yeah, yeah, I think in short, it's really ahead of its time. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. And that's uh, Extreme Dinosaurs, a showcase for the uh, work of Louis Ray. If you are unfamiliar with Louis's work, this would be uh, a good place to start. And uh... where have you been? If you're unfamiliar with Louis's work, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's a a vintage dinosaur book from 2001. <laughs> We're all old now. <laughs> now. Uh, Speaking of Louise Ray, uh, I, I do have to preface this because the interview does kind of start in medias res. No sooner had we uh, started the recording, or Louise Ray started gushing over one of his favorite paleo artists of all time. Who could it possibly be? Indeed, John Sibick. <laughs> what did you call him again, is he? The uh, consigneur of paleo art? The, the consigneur of paleo art, yes, indeed. Well, there you go. It turns out Louise is a big Civic fan, so that's where the interview starts. Yeah, you see? Enjoy the interview. He 
he's he's kind of a, like he was like God to all of us, kind of a, in the in the eighties. God. Yes. Yeah, wow. Like, well, okay. Not that much, but anyway, I mean. No. No, we, we, we're going to keep this bit though. We're going to put it on the front, like um, <laughs> Livy says. John Civic was like God to all of us. <laughs> yes, in the, in the 1980s, at least. I mean, well, uh, I can tell you one thing. I mean, that's for sure. Uh, kind of the one, the the man that actually kind of pushed me to start doing kind of a paleo art or whatever you want to call it, and kind of a, was John Civic, because I mean, uh, I mean, okay. dinosaurs were like kind of mostly dead where where I was living kind of in Spain I was living in Spain and uh, dinosaurs were for kids or whatever I no, nobody really cared about it but suddenly I saw that encyclopedia of dinosaurs being sold in one in one shop and I said my goodness these dinosaurs look different that's fantastic at, at last we I can I mean we can we can relate to something something different, not not the old Zalinger or the old kind of a uh, Borean or something like that. We 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 saw it in a different way, more art, more arty way. Obviously, I mean the anatomical details now are completely passed out, but uh, but uh, but in those ages, I mean he he was everything. Okay, so in this episode, we're talking to Louis Ray, and it turns out that Louis was completely inspired by the Normanpedia, and that was his setting off point. And uh, so we've just been hearing. <laughs> so, but seriously, though, so you saw John Civics because I don't think anyone would expect that. Like, no one would expect that looking at your work, you know, in the early days with the Osborne book and how vibrant and colorful it was and how you saw these perspectives. No, no one would think, oh, well, clearly he was inspired by John Civic in, you know, the Illustration Cyclopedia of Dinosaurs. But that's exactly what you're saying. Yes, I mean the main thing for me, I mean, is getting inspired by by, by other people, not copying them. Right. Yes. And kind of, uh, uh, yes, I get inspired by John Civic. I get inspired by Greg Paul. I get inspired by so many, many. But 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 I have to, you know, uh, swallow the thing and then digest it, and then some something comes out of it. Okay. The main thing, the main thing for me was actually trying to do something different from John Civic. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because God knows there's enough people copying John Civic and Greg Paul too, for that matter. Well, I can tell you one thing. Once, once I was in in England, I mean, I, I kind of I tried to get jobs and things like that, and I got to one place that actually kind of say, said, "Oh well, you know John Civic, we want you to do dinosaurs like John Civic, uh, exactly like John Civic." And I said, "You are not paying enough." <laughs> <laughs> It's, a lot. it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, the editors of, on 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 books and things like that most of the time have very little, little sense of what they are doing. They just go for whatever they they fancy and have no actual kind of a scientific background or anything. So yeah, it's, it's a problem. But you say you were, obviously you wanted to do something different from John Civic. And what I remember seeing your work in the early nineties. Obviously, I was rather young at the time, but um, still. Everywhere that I was looking, I was surrounded by all this John Civic aping art. So not just John Civic's own work, but yeah. just all this stuff that was copying him, probably for the exact reason that you said, that these editors were all saying, these are mostly wildlife agency artists, and the editors were all saying, we want you to make work that's exactly like John Civic. Exactly. So I was seeing all this stuff everywhere, and that, that became like the uniform look of dinosaurs to me for a while. But then yeah, definitely. I saw your work in the shop, and it's just like, wow, they can look different. <laughs> like, they yep. can have interesting... 
perspectives and all these colors and you know the vibrant colors i mean um i remember in that stream i know you, you were there in the text chat still beavering away and i i described it as being refreshing at the time but then you said yeah, actually it was more like heretical at the time which i was thought was very interesting. yes i like i like heresy all the time that, that, that's that, that's my main point i i like to do kind of so, something different yeah so obviously okay you came, you came to england and you saw this and well no you, well, you saw the normpedia originally in spain you came to england everyone wants you to do john civic but obviously eventually you managed to not do john civic and uh, produce your own work and i know even then it was um you said it was a battle to do what you really wanted to do because yes. people were always pushing you to be more conservative yes 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 well but uh, but by the by i mean after john civic uh, around 1988 well, the the Americans grabbed me completely, in, and by the Americans I mean Bakker and Greg Paul, and those two were like uh, kind of uh, devastating for me. Uh, then they opened the gates for everything. V- virtually, I, I was I was completely, you know, grabbed by by the whole energy of that, and, and not only that, the fact that kind of uh, I took the influence of John Civic in doing my first painting and actually it turned it, turned the, the Inonicus in a feathered Inonicus kind of flock, kind of, a, you know, running around, if completely feathered. I, I think nobody would have dared to do that ever. I mean, you can see the, the, that painting, I mean, that painting right now, and, and obviously the, the hands are wrong and things like that because I, I took the hands from John Civic. <laughs> but uh, no, no, nobody was no, nobody was doing kind of uh, the right hands, the right therapeutic hands in those ages. They're, they're no, always... not even Greg Paul got those rights at the time. When when I saw the first reconstructions of uh, the good reconstructions of T Rex, for example, or something like that, and, and you see the the Australia and the sternum and all, and you see oh that makes sense. It's a little bit like the change of posture. I mean, for years and years and years, you never question. The, the posture of, of T-Rex in the Natural History Museum in New York. It was like a monument. So actually, when you right. saw that, suddenly the animal could start walking instead of actually kind of dragging its tail like a human, like a, like a like Japanese man inside a rubber suit kind of doing Godzilla. Well, that, that's inspired by, by T-Rex, obviously. But, uh, but uh, the fact that they change posture and they start walking. That that's so important. That's so important. Yeah. Sorry, getting back to because I, I want to talk a bit more about the the Osborne thing because of course um, what we also talked about on that live stream was um, the because I, I guess by that point you'd seen the Dromius or hands because the hands of the Don, of the Dononicus in the Osborne book are very obviously they're featherless because you were begrudgingly made to um, make it featherless but they they do have that. More modern appearance. No, no. It's in, in, in those ages, it was impossible to actually feather a dinosaur in a, in a, in a, in a not in yeah. any book, really. So, so yeah, that, it was too that radical, was, really. Yeah, it was too radical. But I got ra- radicalized, uh, kind of as, ta- as time went by. I mean, uh, kind of uh, by the end of the nineties, I refused to do jobs of, of, of the Inonicus or of Velociraptor without feathers. Did, did that, if you don't know what I'm asking, did, did, did that really cost you? Like, did that did, did that cost you quite a few jobs? Yes, no, no, not only I mean jobs, but reputation. I, I was classified as a as a science fiction artist. Really, I I, I wasn't kind of I, I was 
badly received by a lot of kind of uh, academics in general, and I was blacklisted by the Dinosaur Society as a troublemaker. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. That, that was in the, in the, in the around 96 or 95, I don't know, but I was blacklisted. I was, I was like, I, can't, I, I, I said, well, there's a dinosaur society. They should be working for us. Well, finally, we are going to get some jobs. And oh my goodness, they did like that. <laughs> But, uh, it's interesting you say that it's about the time that Sinoceropteryx was like published, and then and then they must have gone oh, and then and then, yes. and then all these feathered dromaeosaurs turn up, and then they must have thought oh, <laughs> turns out the backer. Oh, but and... surely you weren't you weren't the only one working around this time who was doing feathered dromaeosaurs, right? Because Greg was pretty quick with that. I, I and, wasn't. Uh... I don't think I was. I mean, kind of a wealth for once. I mean, Greg Paul and company were doing feathered dromaeosaurs, but but they were doing their own thing, really. I mean, they, they weren't they weren't getting hired or something like that. They were looked like no. a like an like an oddity. Yeah, you know? it's like. You, you you see, for example, uh, kind of a, a book with illustrations by Greg Paul and other people, and the other people will be completely, I mean, radically different from Greg Paul, yeah. but they will still be in the same book. So you have all this kind I of think... a mosaic, mosaic of, of people, of artists doing completely opposite things in the same book. I think um, the first time I saw Greg Paul's feathered dromaeosaurs, that there was one model that appeared in a magazine that I had as a, as a kid, and that was it. And, and other than that, it was when I actually got hold of a copy of Predatory Dinosaurs of the World, which was about, I don't know, 10 years ago or slightly less, yeah. um, because all, all the popular books I had as a kid and even you know getting a bit older never had anything like that because, as you say, it just wasn't published. Um, those weren't That's the things right. that you saw in all the popular books. It was all John Civic-like stuff. <laughs> Not to insult John Civic at all, but it was like it, yeah. it was that more conventional stuff. There was none of that radical stuff going on. I mean, if and when feathered dinosaurs like that did appear, it was always wow, what a crazy, wacky idea! Like, there's, there's no evidence for this, but you know, what if, what if? And it's, it's like actually, it's, there was quite good evidence for that at the time that that was really quite possible, um, even without direct feathered fossil, you know, fossil feathers, even the, the anatomical evidence was there. So um, of their relation. Yeah, you should have seen me at one of the meetings of the SVP, the late 90s or early, yeah, more or less late 90s or early 2000s, when when I was kind of a, when the Oregon team, it was the famous Oregon team that actually kind of advocated Longisquama as the origin of, of birds. And they said whatever it had in the kind of on the back, those those structures were actually the beginning of feathers. Yeah. And I was scared to death, but but I actually said kind of a you know jumped jumped over the kind of his talk, and I said, well, um, you know what you are seeing? What you are seeing is the caricature of a feather. How would how would you do a feather when you were a kid? Like that, yes, but that's yeah. not the only. Feathers. That's what you have in your in your mind as a as a feather, and it's it's the infantile version of a feather. Yeah, people project their own weird pet ideas on Longisquamor all the time. <laughs> yes, they do. It seems seems weird looking back now, though. It was a fight. It was a fight to the death. I mean, when, when, once they kind of <laughs> yeah, really, really. I mean, I've seen things. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm something like Blade like Runner. <laughs> 
but uh, I, I've seen, you, you know, the, the, a colossal battle between kind of uh, Martin and Robert Wacker. You see, it kind of a, in like like two alpha male gorillas, you know, with all the hair, <laughs> with all the hair standing like a kind of a, in the middle of, of a discussion. It, this was a, a kind of a dinosaur bear symposium that was in in the kind of a early two thousands. Uh, kind of in Miami, by the way, uh, kind of a horrid, horrid place. But I, I just wanted to go, and, and, we, and we needed to go, and and we went, and I, and it was like a kind of a seeing kind of fiducia, kind of a trying to kind of a soon put some panties panties on, trying to demonstrate that the kind of a pterosaurs couldn't walk. That was a spectacle. <laughs> And that's Fiducia, the same guy who is still advocating that birds aren't dinosaurs now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And not only that, I mean, there was when I mean, Greg Paul was there also, obviously, kind of a giving the giving part of a, giving a talk together with Fiducia, with Martin, with Bakker, and everybody. And uh, kind of after Fiducia gave his talk, kind of a Greg Paul would come to the podium, let's say. And, and uh, Fiducia would look at him li- like he was the scum of the earth, <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, kind of, a, you know, he gave him that look like kind of a bloody, kind of a, you know, whatever. I'm an academic. What are you? So it's, it's one of those kind of a strange feelings that you get in those. It, it was quite a revealing kind of a meeting, that one, the kind of a, the symposium of, of birds and, and dinosaurs. It was quite revealing, and, and it, the battle was on. I mean, it was. I mean, there, there were fantastic battles between all all these people. Kind of, they were passionate about about their own thing, and especially Martin and and Bakker. Martin and Bakker would would be collide would collide all the time, kind of like really really powerful way. Wow, that that would have been amazing to see. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of see it's a beat em up game now, like you know, Martin versus Backer, round one, fight. And then they come in and it's, it's like, you know. Something like that. Something like heresy, that. Heresy, yeah. heresy. So, Luis, how, how long? Because, you know, we, we kind of know how it turned out. Uh, it turned out that, you know, the, the Bakker and, and Greg Paul side of things were, was kind of vindicated by history in the end. Um, yeah. How did that affect you? When did you start to find that your your reputation was improving maybe that um where did you find that you were getting more respect as time went on well yes yes but uh, but at the Is same time by the dinosaur society <laughs> i'm the, the kind of person that actually is either either loved or hated is is kind of a, <laughs> it's either you love you love what i do or you hate what, what i do and there's plenty of people in both sides uh, so, so actually, I have found that about your work. Yeah. The, the only, the only thing I can do is be myself, kind of. A, and obviously, I mean, the, many people say, for example, that my dinosaurs are very colorful, things like that. But, but they, I mean, they, they are not colorful to the to the level of being clowns. I don't like clowns. <laughs> well, nobody does. No, no, but but uh, <laughs> but the thing it depends on what technique you are using or how your vis- vision of color is. I mean, you can actually do things colorful, kind of very colorful, but without being colorful in the sense of making it clowny or stupid or look stupid. I try not to make them stupid. If someone finds it stupid, I mean, it's, it's up to them. We mentioned Normanpedia, as we call it uh, just now. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. you, Louise, uh, illustrated your own dinosaur en- encyclopedia. Yes. About, uh, Back in 07, a, a decade and a half ago. Yeah, the kind of the Tom Holtz encyclopedia. I mean, that that was, uh, you, you, you have no idea. I mean, really, when, when I had the book in my hands, it felt like, it felt like a kind of an enormous weight. You know, it, it was like a kind of, oh goodness, at least I've done something, really. I kind of, I, I am so, I'm very proud of that. And, and I'm very proud of having been able to work with Tom Holtz in that sense. Uh, he came out of the cloud of the academia because, I mean, he's, he's like an academic with a, a kind of a, yeah. you know, with such a pedigree, let's say, uh, kind of, and and mm-hmm. and working with him, and he came back. I mean, sorry, he came down from the cloud to all mortals <laughs> from his ivory tower. You mean? No, but, but no, but, but in the <laughs> sense, I mean, Tom, Tom Hulse is, is is such an authority. Yeah. In in in, in that sense, and, and he said he's he's so down to earth at the same time that actually working with him was like a privilege. Uh, because essentially he liked my work and, and I, 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 in those ages, obviously I almost couldn't understand why he liked my work. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, we, we, we kind of are fused together. Yeah, and and I think I think it worked as w- as well with him as with Bakker. So I was gonna say it still stands up amazingly well, though. I mean, I've I occasionally just flipped yeah, it does, through yeah. it, just looking just to admire it. And um and not not only your work in there stands up really well, but also um um Tom's work, if I may call him Tom. It's uh, <laughs> I, think, I think there are many things that should be changed now. Quite right a few. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, because it's that many years later. But I mean, given the age of it. It has, as it is now, it has aged really well, and, and especially because of the, um, well, especially because you were so up, you're both so up to the minute at the time, and it's so well researched. And I mean, and Holtz's writing as well is, um, I know he he just goes far enough and hedges his bets in such a way that it has aged really well. He doesn't make any over the top assertions that age badly. Um. Yeah, and and I was just I was just wondering, uh, Louise, if we can stay on the topic of uh, of of the uh, Holtz Encyclopedia. I mean, there's so many illustrations in here. How long would it have taken you to 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 get all of that together? I can't imagine. Well, uh, praise the computer. Uh, I mean, if I wasn't if, if, if I wasn't kind of a doing kind of already kind of a, quite a lot of uh, digital artwork in general, I mean, I wouldn't be able to to have done. I mean, as as half of it really in the in the in the in you know in the amount of time they gave me to do everything and and how much how much time was that if i might ask it, it was about six months really okay yes you managed to um you managed to produce quite a lot then in six months <laughs> you said i mean, well, I, I, I know there's some of your older stuff in there as well like the spinosaurus from about 2001 and the uh and the baryonyx um yes. which i think was from the 90s which just happened to have aged yes. quite well at the time. yes 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 obviously but uh, but it's just that i kept doing my homework so the artwork never aged in those ages. Now it's a little bit aged, and uh, I've done a new Extreme Dinosaurs Part Two, and 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 I, I I try to you know compile most of the artwork that was I mean a new new kind of artwork with with a kind of a, with updated to the last minute let's say. But uh, as you as you know, I mean things can change tomorrow. And uh, well, thanks to the computer again, we, we we are able to actually keep changing, 
keep remodeling whatever artwork you have done. Just bring this back up to date. I did want to talk about certain Mexican hadrosaur that might have been published by uh, Ramirez Velasco et al. Um, very recently. Yeah, that that was that was a torture. That was torture for me <laughs> because I had to wait on two years. Why. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> everyone noticed that on in the corner of that image it says Ray nineteen, and we were like, "Oh, poor Louis had to sit there for two years on this for image." Two years, well, two years. That, that that was a torture because essentially I was every time I I spoke to An- An- Angel from Mexico, he, he was the main researcher. And uh, I, every time I talked to him, I said, Where's the, when can we do this? When can we do this? When can I? No, wait, 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 we are still waiting for approval. We're still waiting for approval. And finally, kind of uh, just a few days ago, I got, I got the, the go ahead. And I was so happy because when 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 we play with it, I, I play with it with with all the kind of a pieces. I mean, kind of a pieces of the skull that is quite quite complete. It's very complete, uh, kind of a probably I would say eighty percent complete. And I, it was beautiful. It was completely. I mean, it was a parasolophine, but but uh, parasolophine. I don't know how to pronounce it. And anyway, but it wasn't like parasolophus at all. It, it's it's a different kind of thing. Uh, the, the kind of yeah, it looks very uh, distinct. How do you pronounce the name of the actual genus? Um, it's uh, Talatolophus. Talatolophus. Yes, Talatolophus is is like a kind of a he, he uses kind of a mixture of Aztec and and kind of a Latin. Mm. Look at the illustration. You've put the um the, the red bottles on there again. I like red bottles. I think. One thing about art in general, I mean, not art, but, but uh, if you are expressing or you are doing some work, etc., etc., you, you tend to use some sort of language that makes sense to you. Uh, so essentially, I, I tend to repeat several things that make a pattern. And, and then everybody knows that this is like I made by Louis Ray. Yeah, and I, I, do think like you, I do think you've succeeded in that. I do think you have succeeded in creating a style that is unmistakably your own where at a glance, if I see an artwork by you, even if I don't know that it's by you, I can immediately see that's Ray. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Even if it is rubbish, at least it's my rubbish. <laughs> you can never let the kind of the computer or your pencils or, or whatever you are using to kind of portrait something, you can never take the, let the medium take the kind of uh, the advantage of you. So if, for example, people use very sophisticated programs on, 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 on kind of a, on computer and things like that, you will notice the, the program before you notice the, the persona that is behind that. Right. That's the important right. thing. You have, the persona has to shine first. So you have to, you have to take control of the, of the medium. You never let the medium take control of you, of your work. That's, that's, that, that's my, that's my main thing. I kind of, a, I already, already have a style. I have a style that, ha, that has come with me for many years. So the only thing I can do is actually take the tools and use them. But many people let the tools use them. And that's, that, that's something that I, that I don't agree with. Because essentially, that, I mean, yes, there are many people that are doing fantastic jobs now. They are doing fantastic dinosaurs, so realistic that it's unbelievable what they are doing. But uh, but you never see kind of a, the person that is doing it. 
is it you see the machine that is doing it. Yeah. So, um, Louise. Yes. What uh, What do you think is your paleo art future? Are you working on any new projects? <laughs> oh my goodness! My paleo art future. Just a few, I, think. I, I I mean, right, right now I'm I'm starting to do kind of a tentatively a kind of a, a mural for a kind of a Naples for a museum in Naples. But uh, and and the only thing I can I can do right now, I mean, is 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 relate to my my what can I say my 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 exhibitions. There are exhibit my kind of a, there's a traveling exhibition that is right now in New Zealand, and uh, and that's mm. that's that's the that, that's I mean I'm basing kind of a, or any any earnings or anything or anything in based on that whenever it can happen. But uh, lately, I mean, nothing happens. So actually, kind of, I'm, I'm, there's virtually no, no nothing, nothing to live from, really. Aww. And so, I, but I keep doing my, my thing. I mean, I, I keep practicing, and, I, and right now I'm, I'm doing kind of a whales, the, the evolution of whales. So, so actually, kind of, a, is, is quite different. Uh, but, uh, but uh, I, I mean, dinosaurs is my passion. You can't make them bright red and green. Those whales. Oh no! Because oh, no. <laughs> having to, uh, oh, I have to dial it back actually, a little bit there. That's actually easy, easier, I suppose. Well, I suppose because you haven't got to put all that Im- imagination into the uh, into the colours. I mean, the colours just like the colours. But, well, but for example, they're so weird. I mean, the, all the all the ancestors of whales are so weird that I'm trying to make them believable because most of the time the, the ancestors I'm, I'm seeing kind of a, are not quite. I mean, the, the way they are depicted or they were reconstructed, they are, they are difficult to, you know, pinpoint what is kind of a, what could be true or quite, what could be believable, and then what could be, uh, you, you know, either speculation or, or simply monstrous, because because I mean, some of the skulls are almost 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 lizard-like. Yeah, right. You 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 look at some of those Basilosaurus. Yes, where that came from. Yeah, Basilosaurus, because it <laughs> looks name. like a lizard. Yeah, it looks like a mosasaur. Yeah. it looks like a mosasaur. Yeah, it does. It's it does. Very, yeah, it's very serpentine as well. Yeah, um, and yeah, with this kind of uniform teeth, which look yeah. very lizard-like. Yeah, um, but on, on the concept I mean, of I, I, color, there's plenty of of very colorful, very striking dolphins out there, isn't there? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I've just been like. It's a matter of using a little bit of imagination to try to make things more attractive in general. I mean, especially if you are trying to make a mural for people to be kind of a, you know, you know attracted to or something, it's, it's difficult. But uh, especially with mammals, because mammals are so, yeah. predict- so predictable. Yeah. Rubbish, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> just, don't, just, just, just don't put a fleshy red wattle on a dolphin. No, so. no, no, no. no. I can't, I can't no, no, yeah. I think it's interesting to play around with the uh, the limitations and uh, see find the creativity in there. It is, yeah. Obviously, you have the mammals before. I remember, you saw seeing them in um, it was in Dinosaurs in Your Face, which is a compendium of books, isn't it? And also, yeah, in a few other places, in, in even in the Osborne book, there were a couple of mammals. There's a Smilodon and a, uh, a mammoth. So yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Dinosaurs <laughs> in your face. What a title is that? The best. Yeah, perfect well. well, that's kind of uh, that's that's what sells, really. I mean, everything was in yeah. your face. <laughs> <laughs> Louise, thank you very much for being on the show. 
You are very much welcome. It's uh, it's been great uh, talking to you. It's an honor, actually. <laughs> well, the honor is all ours. Yep. And we wish you uh, good luck in the future, and uh, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to you. I'll keep I'll keep going. I'll try to keep going as much as I can because this is my passion. Fantastic. Absolutely. And nobody is as passionate as you are. Well, <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> well, I'd like to say thank you to Louise for agreeing to be interviewed, answer our various questions. It was very informative, very entertaining. As yeah, thanks again, uh, Louise. It's been uh, great having you on the show, especially since, uh, well, you are a bit of a hero of all of us, I think. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. He's my hero. Watch him <laughs> as he goes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been an honor having you on and uh, very entertaining, I might add. I also want to thank uh, once again our wonderful patrons on Patreon. Again, uh, if you uh, so wish, you could join them. Of course, go to patreon.com slash LITC. And uh, I'm actually working up some bonus content. Uh, I actually had to cut quite a bit from that interview and from our other interviews and podcasts as well. And I'm actually working on a, a bonus podcast full of deleted scenes, which uh, may or may not be ready at some point. So uh, I'll keep you informed about that. And that's going to be Patreon only. So uh, watch this space. Excellent. What legally dubious things will I say in all the um, cut content? You'll have to find out, I suppose. Exclusive content. Mm. Yes, indeed. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in next month to A Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus, the podcast. This is me saying a goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Love in the Time of Chasmosaurus. Our blog can be found at chasmosaurus.com. You can find us on Twitter at chasmosaurus. If you want to give us your support, please leave a review of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have a Patreon page, which can be found at patreon.com slash LITC. Our music is by Rohan Long, who can be found at bronzewing.bandcamp.com. Stay safe, wear a mask, and we hope to see you again soon. Music